right, as we start our new series here on unity, um, I want to let you know that as a pastor, uh, you have to develop the skill set of being someone that can protect the unity. You have to develop the skill set. You have to be able to preach and do hospital visits and all sorts of things, but you learn pretty fast in ministry that if you can't get people to get along, your church is in big trouble. It's in big trouble because God brings all sorts of people together that are, are, are of different backgrounds, different nationalities, different political views, different things, and they're very different from one another, and then he brings them together in a local church, and then you've got to lead this group. So just do, do me a favor here at all of our campuses. Look around the room and just see the diversity that's here. Look for somebody that doesn't look like you, but don't point at them, okay? All right. But realize there's a lot of different people here, okay? And we've got old and young. We've got people that were like, that's the coolest music in the world. We've got other people who are like, where are the earplugs? You know? So we've got all these different things going on. And, and I got to tell you, I love the fact that God brings us all together, and I love the unity that the church has. I absolutely love it, and I have learned to be a protector of the unity, somebody that can lead the way, someone that can help foster that environment of unity, because I want to keep this thing together. I, I think I really had a passion for this and had an understanding of how important unity is when I was in my first church. I'm embarrassed to share this, but in the first church that I was in, there was lots of dysfunction. I was the youth pastor, and I can remember that it seemed like every year there was a church split. Every year there was a church split. There was another group that didn't like something going on, and then a new church would start, and another church. We had all sorts of church planning going on unintentionally, and um, I can remember one day the pastor was on vacation. He's on vacation, and I had preached, and I get done with my sermon. At the end of the sermon, one of the board members says, Pastor Rob, excuse me, we want to do a little business here. I'm like, okay, that wasn't in the order of service. And I don't know what to do. I'm one year into being a pastor. You know, I'm, I'm right out of Bible school. And so I'm kind of like, okay, he's the chairman of the board. Let's let him have it. And he goes up there and he goes, uh, we think our pastor needs psychological evaluations. And uh, I'm like, oh my, we're in trouble. Um, and he said, so we are going to force him to step out for three months and be psychologically evaluated. And then if at the end of it, they give him a clean bill, we're going to keep him. If not, he's voted out. All in favor, say aye. And I'm like, I don't think we could do this. I, I don't think we could do this. And they're like, too late. All in favor, say aye, aye, and nay, nay. And then they do this. And I'm thinking at this moment, there is not a visitor here that's ever coming back. <laughs> ever, ever. And so I'm just panicked. I'm like, I don't think we can do this. I don't think it's legal to have a meeting without him. And, and, and we did it, and then we voted this. And so I know that he's on vacation at Lake of the Woods in northern Minnesota. And so I don't know what to do. So I just tell Becca, like, pack the toothbrush. We're going to find him. And so we go up to Lake of the Woods, find out what campground he's at, and find him and his RV and his family. And we say, I hate to tell you this, but I think you just got voted out. <laughs> Definitely got to see a psychiatrist. That's for sure. All right. But, and, and, and I mean, the mess that came from that. And the mess, the months and months of mess. And I just thought, how sad this is. And here's what I noticed. I noticed that the parents would say, well, we're going to go start our new church. We're going to go do our new thing. But the kids were victims. The kids were victims. They're like, why? Why can't I hang out with my friends? Why can't I be with them? Why can't I be in the youth group anymore? Why? 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 Why, why, why is pastor not nice anymore? And why, why do we got to leave? And I thought, I need to protect the unity of the church. When I went to the second church that I was in, again, I'm embarrassed to say it, but the staff... We didn't even really like each other. 
You know, here we are, the pastors on staff. And, you know, there's about five of us on staff, and we're all on staff meeting, like, don't touch the youth stuff. And we had little label machines, like, don't touch this. It belongs to me, you know? And everybody had their little territory, and they'd open up the kitchen cupboard, and it would say, touch this, you die, you know? I mean, (laughs) this is the church, right? And we'd be in staff meeting, and the moment staff meeting was done, we'd leave. We didn't want to hang out with each other, couldn't stand each other. And then we're up there in church, like, make us one, make us one, but we hate each other, you know? I mean... No wonder the church wasn't growing. It's embarrassing. And I just said, I'm going to protect the unity. We have got to protect the unity because it's so important. I got to tell you, I am so grateful that at River Valley, we have incredible unity. Can I just tell you this, that our elders have for years, I I think it's almost 10 years, we have had all unanimous votes Every single time, unanimous votes for 10 years. If we don't have a full consensus, if it doesn't seem good to us and to the Holy Spirit, we table it until we are in one mind and protect the unity. I can tell you this, that our staff meetings are so enjoyable that we have great unity, that I have had leaders in our movement come and sit in on our staff meeting and say, I've never felt anything like this. I've never felt any, there's such unity. It's so enjoyable. We open up our monthly all staff meeting to business leaders and deacons and leaders in our church and they've started to come in and they're part of it and they're like, I love the unity. I love the teaching. I love what's going on. I I cherish that. I pray to protect it and I ask that you would help us to do that and there's no problem right now in the church but I want us to understand unity is something we need to protect. The church is getting bigger. We have five campuses in Minnesota, two internationally. I I believe that we're on the verge the next couple of years of starting three to five more in Minnesota and a couple more internationally. I mean, when you think about this, we've got to protect the unity. So this is a preemptive thing to say, what we've got is so good, let's keep it going, and now let's build on it. And so with that, I'm just saying it's, it's so important. It's like the secret ingredient. It's an intangible thing that you can just feel in the church when you come in and you feel the unity and you feel the love and you maybe don't even know what it is, but there's such a unity. It's like a secret ingredient. That's how, you know what I'm talking about, where a team that has less talent can beat a team with more talent because the team with more talent is fighting with one another. And yet this team that has less talent is so unified, they're able to have the victory. That's what you see. It's just an amazing, absolutely amazing, amazing thing. Think about it, even our country, uh, our name, United States of America. We're united, we're together. I mean, I think like Benjamin Franklin said, hey, we either hang together or we will hang separately. We need to stay together, we need to be united. And how many, honestly, how many were like really proud of our country after 9-11? It was like we were unified, we were just so together. We loved everybody, we didn't care what your background was. We loved it, we were pulling together and how quickly we've disintegrated to where recently in all these budget battles, you know, here we are out of the country watching the news and they're like, what is wrong with America? We think they're gonna divide. They are no longer loving each other. It's over, what, is it the end of America? And I'm thinking, how embarrassing, how embarrassing. Unity is our secret ingredient. It's something to be proud of. And today we're gonna look at two passages of scripture we're going to look at Luke, uh, John 17 and Psalm 133. We're going to look at those two passages and see uh, what Jesus has to say about unity and also to see what the psalmist has to, see, to show us how beautiful unity really is. Now, before we get there, I'll give you a couple other scriptures, but those are the spots where we're going to camp out. Um, in Genesis chapter 11, I can tell you this. We see the first key to unity about how amazing unity is. 
In Genesis chapter 11, I don't have time to read the story, but we have the story about the people all speaking one common language. And the Bible says that they spoke one common language and they had rebellion in their heart. And the Bible says that that rebellion caused them to say, we're going to build a tower to the sky and be better than God. We're going to pull down God. We're going to build our own thing to our own glory. And we're going to go as if we can to the heavens and pull down God. And so because they're unified, the Bible says that nothing was impossible to them. It says that God is looking at this and he says, uh, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And God confuses the languages of these people and gives them all different languages so they've got to regroup and they no longer can work as one, but they're all in confusion with little factions. Could you imagine you're like, hey, pass me the hammer and the guy's like, no hablo, you know? I mean, you know, it's going on, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you're saying. And so all this confusion is gone. But the key thing is, grab this. He's saying there's a power in unity. Nothing is impossible for them if they're going to be unified like this. Now, another thing, when we pay attention to the unity in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, over and over again, he's saying, uh, make every effort. In Ephesians, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And later on, he says, it's a mark of maturity that you're keeping the unity. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, now think about it. Each of his letters is written to a different church in a different community, and he has a theme over and over again, unity, unity, unity. Why? Because we're dealing with people. 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. 2 Corinthians, it's a second letter to the same church. He's like, okay, guys, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. He's writing this. Matter of fact, next week in our series, we're going to look at how he wrote to the church at Philippi, the letter of Philippians. He's like, guys, you've got to get along. You've got to get along. There's problems and you have all this strife and you've got to get along. And I want to point this out. There are two ladies that are fighting in the church. And Paul says to the entire church, drop everything and help these two to get along. Think about that. He says to the whole church, no matter what you're doing, stop, stop, stop. We've got to protect the unity. Help these two ladies to stop fighting. It'd be pretty embarrassing to know that the Apostle Paul wrote about you and you're in the Bible because you were uh, somebody that was fighting with somebody. And it's like, Rear! all right, I'm in the Bible. You know, it's pretty embarrassing. Unity, it's so important. Now, I want you to understand, when we talk about unity, I'm talking about uh, to be in the state of being one. Like you've heard, they moved as one. To have singleness of vision and purpose. The state of being in accord or harmony. And how many know that when music is done well, when it's done and it's got great harmony and it's right there and it's on tune, you lean in. Like with our worship team, when they're doing their stuff and they're playing and they're all in unity and you just kind of, how many know you just lean in? You're like, wow, you lean in because it sounds so good. That's unity. How many know the opposite of unity with that illustration is like an elementary concert? <laughs> you go in there, it's like... You're like, oh, how soon is this baby over? <laughs> when is my kid done? All right. 
You think that way too, don't you? Yeah. You're like, I'm getting out of here. Wow. And, and I wonder why grandparents go. And I think they go just to mock their kids. <laughs> we had to listen to you too. So I bought your kid a drum set. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> unity is being in harmony where it sounds beautiful and you lean in. That's why it's so beautiful. That's why Jesus said to protect it. Because when unity is there, people lean in. And when they lean in, they listen to what's going on. In John 17, I had to turn there. John 17, verse 20. Jesus is praying and he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I, as, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, just pause for just a moment. Jesus says, the world will know that you sent me, Father, that I really am the Savior of the world if these people have unity. Did you ever think about that? You are the endorsement of Jesus Christ being sent by God the Father when you love one another. Pretty heavy. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is predicting church growth. Think about this. In this moment, he's predicting church growth. He's saying, Father, I'm praying for these guys and all the people that are coming. I see what's coming. It's no longer going to be a little sect of Jewish people. This is going to go global. This is going around the world. This is going to be different languages, different cultures, different skin colors. This is going big time. And I'm praying right now and predicting church growth here that these guys are going to build something that's going to grow and grow and grow. And my number one prayer request right now is unity. Predicting growth and praying for unity. So it must be really, really important because he knew the lack of unity would cripple the mission. And to oversimplify it, it's as if unity is like a, a secret evangelistic tool. Think about it. When people come into our church and they see Democrats and Republicans worshiping together, that catches their attention. They see rich and poor, red, yellow, black, white. They see Packer fans and Viking fans. That's a miracle. You see what I'm saying? When they see that what brings you together is bigger than anything else and that you can say our differences are good, our differences are unique, and it makes us uh, special to the world. When they see that, they pay attention because they're like, wow, how do these guys do it? What do they have? This is such a unifying thing. Think about it. Our, our diversity is our strength. And can I say this here and for all of our campuses? Celebrate when somebody comes into church that doesn't look like you. Celebrate that. Be rejoicing in that because God is bringing all sorts of people together and he's saying this group of people that would never be together in any other arena are here together to worship Jesus Christ and it's a beautiful thing to the world. Let's celebrate that diversity. Jesus said to his disciples, in addition to what he said in John 17 and John 13, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Okay, now we look at the disciples and we see them as like superheroes. And they were amazing, okay? But let me just tell you what, they were real people with real flesh and real humanity. So for just for a moment, let's put some real humanity on them. Think about this. We've got John and James as part of the 12 disciples. 
that go up to Jesus and basically say this, hey, Jesus, we've sized up the rest of these guys. You're looking at the best two right here. I want to sit on your right. He wants to sit on your left or otherwise. It's okay. I'll go left. He'll go right. But I mean, seriously, look at Peter. Look at these other guys. Look at Judas. I mean, seriously. Thomas, that guy's a doubter. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right here. Best. Right and left. Right here. Best. Okay. Now imagine, put some humanity on that. Imagine that at your workplace. Somebody in the team meeting goes, hey, boss, by the way, right here, you're looking at your assistant manager. The rest of these guys, losers. Okay. How many know that the workplace is going to have a little strife? And Jesus is saying, hey, if you guys love one another, the world's going to really know that you're my disciples. Think about this. Matthew was a publican, and that meant he was a sellout to Rome, the oppressor of the Jewish people. Peter is a zealot, and in case you didn't know it, zealots would pledge that if they ever had the opportunity to kill a publican, they would do it in the name of the Lord. Sounds like terrorism, okay? And they're together in the same room. And, and Peter's thinking, I kind of pledged to kill you before I met Jesus. And Matthew's thinking, I sold you out before I met Jesus. Think about this. And Jesus is saying, when this group gets together and loves one another, the world's going to know that you're my disciples, that there's something to this message. It's going to be incredible because if you can get along... That's going to catch the attention of the world. That's why unity is so important. And Jesus said, the unity that I'm praying for is the unity that we have, Father. We have this incredible unity, and we worship the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you follow this, the Trinity is like a total deferring to one another and great unity. The Father sends the Son. The Son says how amazing the Father is. Jesus, then the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit points people back to Jesus. Do you see all this? At his baptism, God the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, the Holy Spirit. There's just perfect unity going on. They're working as one. And Jesus says, that's the type of unity I want these guys to have. That's the kind of unity I want to have in my church. And yet we come to church and go, oh, don't sit on that row. I'm sitting by her. I'm angry at her. And Jesus is like, no, I want you to have this beautiful, beautiful unity. So important that, again, I read it earlier, but Apostle Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And to make every effort means to not do the negative things and do the positive things. Can I tell you this? As part of this church, you need to not do the negative things. No gossip, no backbiting, no criticism, no lying. Don't do those things. But you need to do the positive thing. Have care for others. Have interest in others. Share resources. Be there for them. Or in modern terms, I've got your back. I've got your back. We're in this together. There's unity here. We love one another. Not being negative is not good enough. You have to go and add the positive. Make every effort to keep this peace here, to have unity in this church. Now, to give you a couple of illustrations of how beautiful unity is, the psalmist says in Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3, he says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. And he's saying it's beautiful. It's beautiful when brothers, when the body of Christ, I love what uh, the King James Version says. It says, behold, how pleasant and good it is when brethren... Dwell together in unity. You are family here. 
You are family. You have the greatest bond in the world bringing you together, better than your blood relatives, better than any company or team you could ever be on. You are brought together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We're all here because we came to the cross, and now this is our family. And he says, it's beautiful when you're here, your family. It's beautiful when there's unity, and when there's not, it's ugly. And we've got to protect this beauty. I can tell you this, I... My dad used to say to me, I have three younger brothers, and he used to say, you better love your brothers. You guys are fighting way too much. Go to your room and love each other, and don't you come out and tell you love each other. Sometimes it took a long time to love them, you know? But we loved each other, and I guess I took that with me into the way I lead this church because we had some staff that were bickering, and we were in staff meeting. These two were just bickering, and I won't tell you who they were, but it's a couple years ago, and they were bickering and bickering and bickering, and finally I just said, you two, my office, after staff meeting. And I said, you two have until Friday to love each other. It's Tuesday. If on Friday you are not in my office singing, bind us together, Lord, and loving each other, you will both be fired. I just kind of had my dad coming out at me, you know. <laughs> and they looked like, well, we, I said, no excuses. It's Tuesday. Get to work. I'm not kidding. By Friday, if you two don't love each other, you will both be fired. Leave my presence. Okay. Can I tell you what happened? Yeah. You're like, I don't want to work for him. All right. So Friday, they came in. We love each other. He's mowing my lawn. I'm going to shovel his driveway. We love each other. We're going to dinner. I made him lunch. Woohoo! We love each other. Love, love, love. Don't fire us. All right. So... I want to protect the unity of the church. And if the staff can't leave each other and the elders don't love each other, we're in big trouble. But then the body needs to love each other. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Behold how pleasant and good it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's beautiful. And he gives us a couple of pictures, one that doesn't seem that beautiful because he said it's like oil being poured on Aaron and on his beard and on his clothes and all this. And we're kind of like, but let me tell you why it was beautiful to them. Aaron was the priest and he was anointed to be God's priest. And in order to do this, they had to anoint him with oil, which was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And they were saying, you're set aside, and may the Holy Spirit cover you and guide you and protect you and lead you and anoint you. And what they did with that oil is they mixed all these spices together, and the oil held the spices together. And the spices made it smell beautiful. And so the, the people that were reading this would understand, oh, that's that beautiful smell when we anoint the priest. And that's that beautiful smell that said God's with us. And it's just so beautiful how we take all these different spices and put it together in this mixture and make the most amazing perfume, if you will. It's just amazing. And can I just say for our body, here's what it's like. God takes a bunch of spicy people he takes a bunch of spicy people, and we have some spicy people in our church, and he mixes them together. And he mixes them together, and by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, it pours down, and spicy people come together, and it smells good. It smells good. And in modern-day terms, we'd say it passes the smell test. People come in, and they smell. It smells good here. There's unity. God's taking spicy people and putting them together, and it's a good thing. And I know it might be hard for Norwegians to believe it, but spices are, spice is good. How many know? Spicy is good, right? It's good. 
So that's what he's saying. He's saying you pass the smell test. It's beautiful. And then the last illustration he uses, he says it's like the dew on Mount Hermon. Now, this is the highest mountain in Palestine. I've been there. I've taken a look at it and seen it. It's the highest mountain, and it was mostly snow-covered on the top. And this is where the water comes from that starts the Jordan River. You hear about the Jordan River. You read about it in the Bible. This is the source of it. It comes from Mount Hermon. And so it's saying it's like the dew. And the dew gets on the plants, and then it goes down, makes little streams, and then the streams feed into the river, and then everyone is refreshed. And he's saying when you have unity, it's like waking up in the morning and having a fresh water supply that you can go and get the drink. And the amazing thing, I actually bent down at the start of the Jordan River and actually took a a, a drink of water. It was just amazing. It was so cold. It was so refreshing. And And I read that scripture, and I thought, how beautiful this is. This is the picture that the psalmist was saying. And it wasn't like dry Israel, if you think about it. A lot of us picture dry. It was like tropical rainforest. And he was saying, it's beautiful when the dew is there. It's so amazing. It's refreshing. It brings life evermore. And it's a secret ingredient that we have that we say, God, we'll bring the life. We're like a cold glass of water to a weary person that's just parched and wondering, does anybody really live it? Is this really real? Is there really a place that would love you and forgive you and care for you and love you with your differences and welcome you in? Man, it's just, it's an overwhelming cup of cold water to them. Last thing about these two things. Oil and water both come down. They both flow down. And I believe that's very true about the blessings of God. Comes down on us. If you had to stay unified with the people around you without God's presence coming down on you, yeah, good luck. Good luck. You look around, you say, I have to be unified with all these people. They think differently than me. They vote different than me. They spend different than me. They eat different. They talk different. They look different. Good luck. But there's blessing on that if you say, God, it's because of you. It's not because I'm trying so hard. I have the blessing of God flowing down on me. And the Holy Spirit takes you from being a racist to loving everyone. The Holy Spirit takes you from being an elitist to welcoming the least of these. The Holy Spirit takes you from being judgmental to being somebody that gives grace to others. The Holy Spirit helps you to forgive people that have done you wrong over and over and over again. And you say, God, you're the one that binds us together. So if this has been an encouragement to you, run with the unity. If this has been a challenge to you, I think some of you right now, you're like, wow, I've got to ask forgiveness. I've got to restore the unity. It might be a challenge to you. You might say, I- I'm going to skip next week. No, don't you dare. Let it challenge you to say, I'll protect the unity of my church. I'll, I'll restore the unity with one another. And for some, it's given you hope. It's given you hope that the person that you have an issue with, you can be restored. And I pray that that hope would build and you'd realize it's the power of God that will help you to love that person greater than you ever thought possible. So Lord, I pray right now that every one of us would make every effort to protect the unity and the peace that's here. We thank you for that. We thank you for that. And I thank you, Lord, that you prayed for us. You said, I'm predicting church growth, but I'm praying for this unity. Uh, The church needs to be unified. And I pray that we'd hear that prayer and we'd live in a way that would honor that prayer of yours. 
that says we will protect the unity of the church. We will protect the unity with one another. And I pray, Lord Jesus, it'd be beautiful. It'd smell good to the world. It tastes good to the world. It would refresh them so they'd know that you really are the way, the truth, and the life. God, help us to have unity. Help us to have unity. And God, I pray from a position of strength as a church right now for the churches that are around us, the churches that we know of. Maybe our friends or family members go to a church and there's not that unity there. We pray for a spirit of unity to fall on that church, that every church would be unified, that we'd stop fighting over petty little things and we'd be unified in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Help us to make every effort to live at peace, to protect the unity, and to move your church forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.